Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Fantasy Romance and Romantic Fantasy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. <laughs> Yay, coffee. Uh, today is, who knows, Thursday. Today is Thursday, um, February 11th, 2-11-2021. Lots of good numbers this month. And uh, those of you on video, sharp observers, will notice that uh, I do not have my glasses on today because my new contact lens came in yesterday. Yay! Uh, I was um, very surprised. I was, I was girding my loins, as it were, to be prepared for the not to come in until Monday. And I got a text mid-morning yesterday morning saying that uh, my contact was in. And so I finished that writing sprint. And then I went down, ran into town, and got my new contact lens. So I am once again clear-sighted. Uh, it's amazing what a difference that makes, being able to see. Uh, being able to see clearly and uh, not have to think about it. And so then I was able to get... A couple more writing sprints done in the afternoon after that and so all is well in my world i'm still having to in this chair hold on to the the laptop it's a two-handed deal so let's do earrings before we uh move on today i'm wearing another pair of my very favorites these are little hummingbirds also a gift from david that comes into focus fairly well. Uh, they are silver set with fossil ivory, and they have a pendant that matches. Um, and I just love these little hummingbirds. I think they look pretty, and they are um, they are hummingbirds. And I am a big oh, I've got to silence my phone here. Let me do that so that you're not notifications. That was Kelly Robson saying something to me. There. Sorry about that slight pause. So um, hummingbirds, you guys may or may not know. I just love hummingbirds. I'm a big fan of hummingbirds. If you've read my books, you will notice that hummingbirds in various forms show up in various places. In the shift of the tide, um, Zinda, her first form is a hummingbird. And then I have in the Golden Griffin and the Air Prince, or it's Bear Prince in Airs of Magic. Air Prince would be funny. Uh, they are, um, her daughter, Jendra, is, also has a hummingbird first form, which I kind of had fun with. And we'll come into play more later. In Sorcerer's Moons, there are uh, birds in Oriah's garden that are um, alternate world hummingbirds. And do I have others? I don't know. If you listen to the podcast uh, in the summer when I'm out in the Grape Arbor, you know that the hummingbirds often come by and talk to me. I've even gotten a picture of a hummingbird nest with eggs in it. So, so yeah. Love those hummingbirds. So, so yeah, these are uh, among my favorite choices. A lot of my jewelry, you guys will figure out, comes from David. Um, 
my mom and David. <laughs> Some I bought for myself, but those are the major sources in my life. Um, I remember once being on a trip with my Aunt Karen, my mom's sister, and we were visiting uh, a friend of mine. They had built this beautiful ski house in Maine, and they had invited us all to come. And we were all getting together for breakfast in the morning, and Karen had gotten dressed up. And uh, my friend Laurie said to Karen, Oh, I, I love your jewelry. I love, you know, your, your necklace, your earrings, you know, the bracelet. And, and Karen was like, Kathy, Jeffy, Kathy, Jeffy, Jeffy. <laughs> Kathy being my mother. It was like all of her jewelry was from the two of us. Isn't that funny how there's like certain people in your life who give you jewelry or don't? My stepdaughter, we give her jewelry a lot for her occasions because her husband doesn't. You know, people are like either jewelry givers or they're not. Um, but David has always been very good at selecting jewelry for me. It's um, just one of the many reasons I love him. I would probably love him anyway. But those of you on video will notice that I have my J cup today. A gift from my stepsister. I'm rich in love. So let's see. I don't know that I have that much to talk about. Um, yesterday was kind of reassembling my schedule. I was talking about how I had been knocked out of the water by several events. Um, still recovering from getting the COVID vaccine. Thanks to those of you who reached out and said, if you can get it, get it. I really appreciate that. Um, I probably would not have done it on my own. I would have been happy to wait. But with... Um, David dealing with the early onset Parkinson's. He doesn't need more neurological challenges. Plus he worried about it. And I um, definitely wanted to, to ease his anxiety on the topic. And then if I'm going to drive him four hours to Emerald and then four hours back, because he really can't drive anymore, then I'm going to get the vaccine too. But I can tell you, I'm feeling more normal today, but that was Monday, and um, we were just talking about this morning that we're awfully glad that we didn't get the actual disease because um, the it, it's definitely a big impact on the system, getting the, the vaccine. We were talking about that uh, getting the flu shots kind of like the software patch where you um, barely notice a change. But getting the COVID vaccine is definitely like a uh, installing a new operating system, and it takes a while for everything to catch up. So uh, definitely worth getting, of course. But yeah, give yourself a little time for your body to. It's it's a big immune punch. And it feels a little bit like when you're recovering from the flu, just that kind of um, weariness and feeling a little discombobulated, and that sort of thing. So there, there you have it. Glad I, I did it. Um, still catching up. Still catching up from being gone all day on Monday and then being kind of out of it, really out of it Tuesday, more out of it on Tuesday than I realized at the time, I think. Um, if you are waiting on your print copies of Golden Griffin, they're here in my office. 
they will be leaving my office soon. <laughs> they have not left my office yet. Uh, maybe today. I've got kind of a busy day again today. Uh, I have to go pick up someone at the airport again today. But then, then I should get them out in the next couple of days. I know some of you who are the wonderful print lovers who bought it through my web store in order to get it signed. Bless you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'll get them out. I'm really working on it. Maybe I should make David ship them out. Maybe we should do that. I still have to sign them all and get it organized, though, so we could see. Um, I don't know. Let's see. I am... I'm trying to decide what, how much to tell you guys. Um, I am working on a secret project, but it's probably something that I won't tell you about. I had to step away from uh, Sorceress Queen temporarily so that I could work on this uh, secret project. And so that's been interesting because it's a totally different genre. And I am having to... I'm reading books from a genre that I don't normally read and doing a bit of research on this. Um, mostly researching story structure. It's interesting how different genres have different story structure expectations, which I guess we all know. We're, we're all aware of that um, as readers. And sometimes writers have conversations about about reader expectations or genre expectations and which ones they have to deal with. Um, you know, there's a lot of harsh words from the, the lit fiction community, as it were, about genre writers adhering to formula slavishly, being forced to lose their voice and all this kind of thing. And, you know, as if lit fiction doesn't have certain expectations, right? We won't go there, she said sweetly. Um, <laughs> but like recently on one of my author loops, an author said that she was writing a cozy mystery and that the murder didn't take place until like halfway through the book. And did we think that that was going to be a problem? You know, and it's one of those things that she started out saying, for those of you who write cozy mystery. And of course, this seems to be a thing on the internet, right? Where people say, okay, I want to ask the reader some on you. And then people will chime in and say, well, I'm, I'm not a reader. I'm an author, but I think, <laughs> and normally that annoys me, but then I was that soldier. And I said, um, I don't write cozy mystery. But one of the rules that I generally adhere to is that all the stakes should be set in the first 25%. And I've talked about that a lot of times on here, that within that first quarter of a book or a movie or any kind of story, that at least Western narrative style, we expect the stakes to be set up. And I said, and I think that would include the murder that's going to be solved in the book. And she was like, oh, damn it. I was afraid of that. But I think she knew. She wouldn't have asked the question if she didn't kind of know. But readers may not be consciously aware of this, 
but there are times when you are reading a book or watching a movie and thinking to yourself, where is the story going? I don't know where the story is going. I'm like halfway through the book or a third of the way, and I still don't know where the story is going. And I would argue that's because the stakes haven't been entirely set. Uh, and I'm not talking about plot twists because sometimes there's a plot twist that comes later that completely changes your mind. But if the story is well constructed, you will have seen once that plot twist happens, you will have seen the seeds of it back in that first act. Um, and occasionally when you watch something where there's like a plot twist that seems to come entirely out of the blue and you feel almost betrayed by it. Uh, I think that's because it wasn't properly seeded. It's um, there's a, there's a pact, the covenant between the, or we, a contract. We talk about the, the reader author contract where we, we don't lob things at the readers that are different than what we promised unless we, promised it without them knowing. And then that's a, a great surprise, right? Is like with someone, when you get a some kind of plot twist or some kind of surprise and you are like, damn, I should have seen that coming. You don't want it to be, whoa, what is this? Came out of nowhere. Um, it depends entirely on the creator, whether or not they can pull it off. Um, From Dusk Till Dawn comes to mind. Uh, I We saw that movie in the movie theater back in the day. And I remember, and you know, and it's Quentin Tarantino and it starts out as like the, you know, kidnapping robbery. And then they flee and they end up in that club and all of a sudden it's vampires. And we were in the movie theater. And I remember I laughed out loud, which startled everybody else in the theater because it's like this incredibly horrifying, gruesome moment, right? Where like the vampires rise up and start attacking or I can't remember exactly what happens, but I laughed because I was like, fuck you, Quentin Tarantino. How did you pull that off? <laughs> I was just utterly delighted. So that was a way where he took a genre and, and created a surprise with it. But that's, um, I mean, Quentin Tarantino's very good at assembling a story. And so I think he pulled it off. I don't know. Maybe um, other people would disagree. I know that some people felt like From Dusk Till Dawn was, I don't know, not what they expected, right? Because it was not what we expected. So whether that's a good thing or a bad thing depends on how well the creator pulls it off, right? So, uh, it's just making me think about that because last night I was uh, met with my beta reader group and I had been reading a book for another member of the group and I, I had problems with, you know, he'd given us essentially 90 pages to read and, and it did come to a climax. And I said, you know, this reads to me like this is the first act of the book and there's still so much that I don't know what's going on. I feel like, and and I liked it. I I liked everything that he was doing. I was intrigued and wanting to go on. But at the same time, I was like, I'm really starting to feel impatience as a reader that I don't know where this story is going. And other people in the group were like, yeah, I have no idea where this story is going. And I said, you know, by the end of the first act, 
I think we should have some idea of what the stakes are going to be. They don't have to be spelled out. And he was like, well, I don't want to reveal too much. He said, if I, if I reveal too, even a little bit, then it's going to reveal everything. And I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, a fine line to walk, but we, we need to know what that, we need to know the stakes. We need to know. And, and somebody else put it, um, what was going to be the central conflict of the book, which is a, another way to phrase the same thing. She said, or no, I'm sorry. They said that they didn't know what the um, central conflict of the story was going to be still, which by the end of the first act, we have to. And we were kind of talking about the Matrix because the story is similar to the Matrix in some ways. And it had come up a few times and I said, you know, one trick, and this is not my trick, but something I learned from um, Alexandra Sokolov is to watch a movie and figure out where that first 25% of the movie, a, a well-constructed movie, which Matrix certainly is. I said, you should just watch like the first 25% of Matrix, figure out where that first act ends and see which stakes are set in that movie because there's certainly a lot of reveals as matrix goes on matrix goes on right there are, we don't know everything by the end of the first act but the stakes are set um, and it's been so long since i watched it i don't really know and and he said you know absolutely got my point and not wanting to argue with me but he said you know i'm i'm thinking about this the choice of the the pills and then um you know, that, that's the end of the first act. And I said, I bet it's not. You know, he said then emerging from the pod. I said, I bet it's not. And I even, because I'm a busybody, I went and looked. And Matrix is two hours and 26 minutes long, as I recall. And so I said, so I did my new figure out 25% of that. And I said, 36 minutes into the movie is the end of the first act. And I said, I bet that's significantly past uh, emerging from the pod, deciding to pick, take the pills and emerging from the pod. So now I kind of want to watch it, which I noticed, by the way, it's on HBO Max, all three Matrix movies. And I don't think I ever watched the third one. Didn't seem like the second one wasn't very good. Again, that's a long time ago. But we're out to have a big snowstorm this weekend. So I'm kind of considering binging the Matrix movies. But I'm very interested to see where the end of the first act in The Matrix is. If you guys remember offhand, or if you study before I do, uh, feel free to weigh in. Because, especially if you're a writer out there, but I'm happy to hear from viewers and readers too. You know, what do you think about that idea with the, you know, like where that first act hits? Um, I think a failing of writers is that we want to keep things secret for too long we we want to hang on to those suspenseful secretive things and and milk that tension which is makes for a great reading experience but i think we worry about it too much i think sometimes we hold on to those for too long and you risk um infuriating the reader because they're like i just want to know what's going on already <clears throat> so on that note i'm going to go get to work but I will remind you all that First Cup of Coffee is part of the Frolic Media Podcast Network. And you will find more podcasts that you love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And I will talk to you all tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>